Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, I have a very special guest, Eric Rosenfeld, Chief Executive Officer at Magna Imperio Systems. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. I really appreciate you taking some time for us. Really excited to, to chat and find out a little bit about hiring and, and about your career and a little bit more about Magna. So I want to get into it. I was reading and doing a little research on Magna earlier, and Magna Imperio Systems is a key enabler to solving the world's water crisis through innovative solutions and technology. What a great tagline. Tell us a little bit about Magna and obviously your role there as CEO. Yeah, Magna Imperial Systems, you know, we really look at ourselves as transforming the value of water for our customers. We see the industry as where the supply and demand with water, particularly in North America, is widening. And we believe that our technology and our solutions can narrow that gap, whether it's treating the source water that goes into a facility or treating wastewater to uh, reduce the amount of waste that companies or our customers have to dispose of. So our proprietary technology of uh, desalinization is really at the core of what differentiates us from the rest of the marketplace. But in addition to that, we can provide other solutions outside of just our core differentiated technology to help our customers in their problems as it pertains to water. Okay. So I want to dig into this a little bit and I want to demystify it a little bit. I know that when we talk about corporate America, there's how does the company make money? Who are their customers? So I'm interested, who do you consider like your base of customers and kind of how do you drive revenue streams from that? Yeah, so we break it down by vertical. Really, we look at the food and beverage space as one where we add a lot of value, obviously, in the municipal side, particularly in the Western part of the United States. Uh, we certainly add a lot of value there as well. And then in the in the commercial and industrial space, maybe with a little bit more emphasis on chemical processing, but commercial, industrial, and chemical space, they have a lot of wastewater from their production. So that wastewater can get, get pretty dirty and pretty bad. And, and we like to tackle and solve tough water problems. So those three verticals, are really where we add the most value because the water could have contaminants that have a very high degree of risk when it comes to waste or very high OPEX as it comes to waste where they can't put it down sewer. It has to go on trucks and be taken to another facility. You know, that can get very laborious and very expensive for our customers. So so we come in and we dramatically reduce that that OPEX for our customers. Wow, that is fascinating stuff. I think I might know the answer to this, but I want to ask you, I was doing a little bit of research on your career. I know you Spent some time with World Fuel Services. That's a company we know here pretty well in South Florida. I'm interested, what drew you to Magna Imperio Systems? Obviously, there's a big mission, a big vision. You're getting me excited just talking about it. But I'm interested, even including that, what brought you and compelled you to want to join the organization and lead it? I personally invested in a company a few years ago. So I got to know the founder and a couple of board members. Then as time went on, the company started to really come out of creating a commercially viable product. They approached me to come on board. And so I, we talked and had many, many discussions. And ultimately what did it for me was I flew to our headquarters in Houston and I sat down with the team and, and got to meet all the people that are there. And you start to draw on their passion and what drives them day in and day out. And really it was it was the people that are there that 
made me want to really work with them. So, and, and obviously the why is very simple. We're solving the world's water crisis, which is something that you can wake up every day and be very proud of that you're actually helping not only communities, but industries and hopefully creating more awareness for the general public to be made aware of what's happening in the water industry. So I think all those things combined, but mainly driven by the people that were at the company at the time and where they were going in the stage really compelled me to take on the role. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things I've learned is you've seen different technology companies out there is that you can have incredible technology, but how you go to market, how you solve problems, that can be sometimes the biggest challenge. And sometimes things don't get off the floor because you can't crack that nut. Since you came on back in 2020, have you given different strategy around that? Have you had different channels that maybe the company wasn't pursuing prior? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of my experiences of being in the downstream oil and gas space. A lot of the companies that I'd worked for prior to being here were solutions-based. They were always looking at the customer and saying, you know, what are the problems that we could solve for them? So really just help bring the team to that type of mindset here. So we look at integral partnerships that bring capabilities to the table that enhance our business model and our strategy. And we just try to leverage that. So a lot of the things that we were doing was focusing on one particular core technology to offer to the customer. But in talking to the customers, they'll sit there and say, you know, I'd really like for one entity to come in and solve this huge suite of solutions as it pertains to my water issues. We develop partnerships and other capabilities. And obviously with that, it comes with retaining and hiring the right people to be able to execute that. So yeah, we definitely, as a late venture, early growth company, we had to make sure that we were making that shift and that pivot to meet the needs and the demands of the marketplace. I love that. We're going to talk about some of that growth in a minute. I want to ask you though, what do you do for fun? I love what you're doing from a mission and from a work perspective, but you got to be passionate about things outside of work. What really gets you going in terms of outside of the work life? Yeah, I appreciate that. Obviously, friends and family are core to me. Spending time with them, good quality time with them is very important. If I get some, what I would say, self-therapy time, it's really through fitness and golf. Those are the two things that I really enjoy. Golf has been a part of my life for quite a long time. I do joke that that is my therapy, but I can't do that every day because that takes a lot of time and effort. So uh, fitness is probably my uh, the one thing that I make sure that I do day in and day out. So friends and family, fitness and golf. Right, I'm going to dive into a little bit. So what does fitness do for you, you think, mentally? Outside of like obviously the physical benefits, what does it do for you kind of energy mentally? For me, I've always believed that if you are in a good physical state, you could be in a good mental state. So I think if you combine those two together, you could be more productive. Everything goes with it, whether it's IQ, emotional intelligence. I'll probably speak to this a little bit more, but those things I think are heightened a little bit more by being a little bit more physically fit. And also it's a way to decompress and relieve some stress as well. So I think all those things combined really help make that an integral part of my daily routine. I really love that. And really, one of the things about fitness is that mental benefit, the energy. Obviously, if you feel good about your body and you feel good about what you're putting in your body, that's great physically. But I've noticed just such a change from a mental perspective and how you sleep, how you breathe and, and how you put that fitness component into your life really makes you more productive at work. It's, it's really kind of a, a real advantage if you do that. So I'm totally aligned with you on that. And I found that a lot of CEOs and people at your level also spend a lot of time thinking about fitness, their body and that physical well-being. It's almost like being a professional athlete in a lot of ways. You got to think about all the different things that go in and go out to get max performance when you're playing a position of such magnitude. No pun intended. So I do want to talk about golf real quickly too, okay? This isn't a golf podcast, but you mentioned to me earlier, you just got back from a trip in Scotland where you're hitting a bunch of courses. Tell me a little bit about that. 
very dear friend of mine, a brother-in-law, he put together a trip. Uh, it was his 50th birthday. So it had been a year in the making of planning. And we went and we got to play some of the best golf courses that really the British Open venues. So it was very, very special, probably once in a lifetime trip, but we got to play places like Carnoustie and Muirfield and really experience where the game was created and invented. It's a lot different than over here in the U.S. It's a great experience and one we'll probably never forget. I'm going to be a little bit selfish here because I've played golf. I've got pretty serious about it over the last year. So I need one tip. One tip when I go on the course next time, that's going to make me swing better. Make you swing better? Anything, uh, anything. Make me score better. I, I love what Tiger Woods tells a lot of the younger guys on tour it is expect to hit bad shots. How are you mentally prepare yourself? We'll probably talk about overcoming adversity, but I love that because so many people go out there and they get so mad when they hit a bad shot. But if you change your mindset and you say, okay, I know I'm going to hit bad shots. And so what am I going to do when I do hit a bad shot? Because we know it happens to everybody, even at the highest levels of the game. So I think that's always my advice. Expect to hit bad shots. And then therefore, maybe you enjoy the game a little bit more or you're able to play a little bit better because you know that that's actually going to happen. Eric, I got great news. I always expect to hit bad shots. So I'm way <laughs> ahead of the game. Tiger Woods, watch out. Here I come. All right, then work on your short game. Work on my short game. If you're going to take any time to practice, go putting, chipping, and pitching, and go from there. Your scores will improve. I love it. I love it. All right, so listen, we love to talk about hiring here. You're the CEO of a company. You've been involved in hundreds, if not thousands, of hires throughout your career. So I want to find out a little bit about what makes you tick, what you're looking for, maybe some experiences you had. So let's start here. Overall interviewing or hiring philosophy for people that you want to bring into your company. I think it's trying to draw out the very specific characteristics that I think is going to really enable our business, our customers, and our key stakeholders, right? So when I think about this, I've got a lot of key points. I'll get through them quickly. I think it's having someone who is humble and has humility, but it's confident. I think that the person really needs to have aligned values with our organization, right? Our organization, our core values are trust, quality, accountability, and common purpose. So when I'm looking at folks to bring on board, they really need to exude those types of values. Because if they don't have that, they won't be aligned and successful within our organization. I think high emotional intelligence, we talk about that a lot. You're hearing it more and more, especially through social media. I think there's no better time or more important characteristic that we need in the workplace right now is high emotional intelligence. I think people need to be objective. It's okay to to have a great knowledge set, but we talk about having a teachable spirit with empathy. And I think that's really, really important. I tell my team all the time, if I'm talking about something and I'm way off base, call timeout and tell me, no, hold on a second, guys. We need to think about it this way. I think that's what makes organizations better. Finally, I think it's, it's really embrace surprises. I kind of stole that full disclosure from somebody else, but Simon Sinek in particular, he preaches that a lot. Well, and I Simon think Sinek. it's so critical, right? Before COVID, who was to predict COVID? And so you, no matter how good you are at strategic planning or business planning, you really have to be able to, to embrace surprises. So all of those different things, also being comfortable with empowerment and the accountability that comes with that. I know I said a lot there, a uh, big data dump for you, but I think that those are the things that I really look for in someone. And, and you could draw it out through the interview process in their prior experiences, both personally and professionally. But those are the things that I really try to have a checklist on and then work through that to see if that person really is either passionate about those things and or has those as a component of their daily lifestyle. No, I love that. I always say that hiring is very complex and nuanced. There's a lot of moving parts. So Having multiple things that you're looking for is really important. I'm interested, though, you know, sometimes a standard structured interview, sit in front of somebody, maybe a Zoom, asking your favorite questions 
can be a little bit hard to delve and really get into some of those things like that EQ, that accountability, that trust, some of those things that you you believe are so important in the people that you hire. Do you have any specific way that maybe you try to suss that out or try to maybe get to the heart of something outside of just kind of typical standard question and answer sessions? I see it twofold, right? On one side, I like to have open-ended questions. I always like to start an interview with, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. That helps them be comfortable, enables them to talk about things that they're maybe feel as though they can speak eloquently about. So that I think that sets the stage for creating a comfortable environment that could then lead to a conversation. It should be both ways. I tell all the folks all the time, this is as much as an interview for me and the company as it is us for you. So I try to get an environment that creates that capability. So that is something that I'm very passionate about. I think is very important. Keep those questions open-ended. But then when you try to draw out, like you just said, high emotional intelligence, get deep in the details of an example of something that they experienced in their career. Meaning take me full soup to nuts from you know idea creation all the way through finalization of execution. Take me through that journey in as much detail as possible. And I think if there's a right mix and combination of those two things, then you can really get to the checklist that I was talking about and try to draw out you know, what are the capabilities and characteristics this person has. I got to tell you, Eric, you just gave away my podcast strategy. I do much of those same things for these conversations. So the rapport is is good. So, uh, you know, I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about some memorable experiences you've had. Maybe you were interviewing or maybe you were interviewing somebody else, good or bad. You don't got to name names, but any experiences jump to mind when I say that? I've got two pretty good ones. One, we were hiring a, a head of uh, supply and trading at a company that I was part of. This was a direct report into me. And it was a very critical role. Very, very important that from a leadership standpoint, functional standpoint, this gentleman flew in from Boston you know, into Virginia, and we had a huge snowstorm in Virginia. Schools are shut. There's nothing going on. I'm trying to get a hold of this guy. I can't get a hold of him because he's flying. He's you know, supposedly in the air. Flights are getting canceled. Well, he lands and he gets here. We continue with the interview process. We try to find a restaurant. We found one that was open. <laughs> they had four items that they were actually serving. Oh, uh, we went through the whole process and. I look back on it and how funny it was that he was nervous about not missing the interview. I was nervous because he was a lead candidate. We really wanted to hire him and wanted to spend some time with him. And we had this huge snowstorm. And I think that seeing his ability to overcome and, and have the resolve to get here, to have the conversation with me, I'll never forget it just because Mother Nature dropped on it. What's great is he's still in that role today and does a great job. So I think it's having that experience. For some reason, it's one of those things I'll never forget. I can't say that I've ever had that happen in Florida, but I, I got to say, let me ask you this. The resolve that he showed, did you see that in his work as soon as he got there and started working? I mean, it sounds like he's there to this day, but did you see those characteristics come and shine through as in his actual day to day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He added a tremendous amount of value right out of the gate. We faced a lot of adversity in the markets at that time, and he was a stalwart through it all. That experience was probably more valuable than any question I asked him over the next probably eight hours we spent together. All right. Pro tip. Manufacture a snowstorm, if at all possible. Got it. This episode is brought to you by MSH. MSH is an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three different continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Find out more at talentmsh.com. All right, you said you had two. Is there another one? 
Yeah. My other one is I was being interviewed and my director, who was the president of the company at the time, he had asked me what my belief system was because I, I went through a personality test of trimetrics and it said I had a very strong belief system and to draw it out was kind of how he was directed. I found this after the fact, obviously. And so at first I was, I thought he was asking me about my religion and I said, wait a minute, this is a, this is a little bit much in a job interview. So I started asking him questions. Well, what do you mean by belief system? How would you define it? And it basically came back as, you know, whatever it is that I believe in from a corporate or business perspective, I'm not going to waver from it. And thankfully, it was drawn out that having high character, uh, high integrity, really strong morals and ethics is something that I value in a big way in business. So that, that was what my belief system was. And I learned that through that process. I didn't really even know that. It was just something that I lived thanks to some influence of folks earlier in my career. But I thought that was a very interesting conversation because I was- sure. Did you end up taking the job? Religion. I did, actually. I okay. did. Wow. I did. And see, here's one of the things that we believe at MSH, one of the tenants, right? Hiring managers, a lot of times, managers in general are put in the job they're in, not because they're necessarily- you know, have the competencies that you want out of a manager, but because they're great individual contributors. And this is the next step up. And so there's tons out there about management, but there's not a ton about hiring, right? There's not a lot of training. There's not a lot of standards shared. There's definitely a good way and a bad way to do it. And your story just makes me think about how someone who had really good intentions, somebody who was looking at some data and wanted to bring it up, had you not handled it the way you did and asked questions back and maybe got offended or stormed out or said, can't believe you're asking me about my religion interview, through no fault of his own, might not have gotten the outcome he wanted, may have gotten an HR complaint. Who knows? So it's just important. The words we use, they have power. The approach is so important. That's a fascinating story. I think you handled that well. And it sounds like you went on to go work at that company. And so no worse for the wear, but really interesting story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Do you have a favorite question that you like to ask in interviews? I love just opening up and just saying, tell me about yourself. And the important thing after that is to make sure you stay quiet, be quiet, just let them talk. And for that, you can kind of see, in my opinion, what I've found is you can see what makes them comfortable to talk about, what's top of mind for them. And then hopefully you can draw out what are they passionate about. So really, I like to just start the interview off and just say, tell me about yourself. And it's an interesting mix of people beginning to talk about themselves personally. And there's some folks who just talk about themselves professionally. I always like asking that question because, again, it's, it's open form. We can take it in any direction we want to. And then from that, we can get into other follow-up questions. And I think that really helps kick off that conversational environment that I was talking about earlier. I really love that. You know, you asked that and I try to put myself in that position. I'm just thinking in my head, I'm asking questions right back to you. Personally, professionally, you want to know what my favorite pizza topping is? Do you want to know about my career and my journey, what my hopes and aspirations are? So it is a really good raw shark test, I think, to a degree of how that person decides to answer that question and what they decide to share. And I think to your point, very insightful into what they prioritize and what they're comfortable with. So good call out by you. Now, at your current company, I don't imagine you have a, it's a high growth company. I don't imagine you have a huge HR organization. So I imagine when it comes to candidate experience and what you want the candidates to know and understand about the company before potentially accepting an offer there is something that you have to play probably a role in, or you thought probably had to set the charge on at least a little bit. Do you think that candidate experience is really important? And if so, what have you done to kind of enhance that or make it relevant to what your company is like in terms of giving people a realistic job preview? Job descriptions are job descriptions, right? They get you to a point and helps build the framework. But now you really have to bring substance to that. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? So I think it's very important for us, especially as a company that's in growth mode, 
to be very transparent and clear cut around what it is that we do and why, right? So we do accountability mapping. We don't really look at the organization as a typical organizational structure. So we look at accountability mapping, we look at OKRs, and we try to make sure that the candidate fits that for that specific role and that they're clear on understanding and we are understanding of their experiences as it relates to this is the role, these are the responsibilities, and here are the, the objectives and the key results that we expect from this role. And most importantly, how does it contribute to the overall organization? So I think it's very important that we are clear with the candidates around, these are the expectations of the role. Let's now have a conversation about that. It is very important for us to understand that experience that they've had in their career and how that they fit into not only that role and how they can contribute to the overall organization, because never, ever underestimate the value of experience. Yeah, that's a great call out by you. You brought up the job description at the beginning. And one of the things we say around here is that the job description is 10% of the job, if that. And I think one of the problems with the job description in general is that it's almost written for robots. I need 10 years of this and five years of this, and I want this certification. And you know who's reading it, right? Humans, people who want to be compelled, who want to understand why I should want this role. What is this role going to do for me? What am I going to learn, right? To me, this should be a little bit more of a marketing material. And I think that's a big opportunity for companies to take advantage of, to give, like you said, not just puppy dogs and lollipops, give us the real deal about what I'm going to expect when I come here. What are the challenges? What are the things that are good? And I think that starts at that job description and how people apply. And then you have to validate that throughout the process. So I think it's a really good call out by you and something that we think a lot about here in terms of candidate experience. It sounds like you're doing the same at your company as well. Last question in terms of hiring. We all miss when it comes to hiring, hopefully less often than more often. But when you do miss and you look back and reflect, what typically would you have done differently or what would you maybe change the next time to make sure you don't make that same mistake again? Debriefing lessons learned around that miss is very, very important because it is, as we all know, how costly it is to get that wrong, not only in terms of dollars and cents, but time. In many cases, the hindrance to your culture of your organization as well. And you put that together, those misses are very, very costly. And again, I don't mean that in dollars and cents as a whole. I think that in some cases, it's the the rush or the feel of the rush to need to get the spot filled because internally your folks are getting spread too thin. So that, that interview process or that learning or discovery phase is rushed. I think the other thing is not really focusing in on a little bit of what we talked about earlier is getting down into the details of how this person thinks, what's their approach, what's their thought process, what's their experience, and really taking that, like I said earlier, that open-ended question and then digging down in the, in the meticulous nature of their past experiences. And I think just not taking the time to really do that. The other thing that I missed before is doing it in isolation, right? Listen, my people are really busy right now. So I'm just going to take the charge. I'm going to lead this hiring process. That's something I learned earlier in my career. That's a big no-no. I mean, getting your peers involved or not, just getting other folks involved in the process is obviously very critical, but sometimes I have to learn things the hard way. And I went through that earlier in my career, but those are the experiences that I've had in the past of having the miss. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to that. Obviously, you want to get different points of view, different perspectives, diversity of thought of what they saw when they saw the candidate. That's always helpful. But you also want to give the candidate different points of view in terms of what the people they'll work with, because if they just interview with you, you're not the only person at that company that they have to work with and you work as a shareholder or stakeholder and do different things with. So I think giving them that kind of realistic job preview again of who they'll be working with and the diversity of thought and people you have in your company is really, really important. So it's a good call out by you. You know, I've been asking people, what's a day in the life of your job like that every CEO I ask that to 
sales meetings and phone calls and things like that. So I'm going to take it a little bit of a different direction. You have this fantastic water treatment facility in Houston that I know you and the team are very, very proud of. As a CEO, how much time do you spend on the floor there versus traveling and being in meetings? And tell us a little bit about that center and what's all there. We've got a great facility in Houston. It's a manufacturing floor. It's where we build our own proprietary technology. And then we also will assemble the infrastructure of our systems there as well. And then obviously, most importantly, do all the testing that we need to make sure that the system is meeting the quality testing that we and or our customer require. So we have that facility. And we also have offices that are very collaborative, very open environments. We're big fans of whiteboards. There's whiteboards everywhere in our office. So engineers uh, love that. It's great. We also have our end-to-end process up on a wall as well. So we do have a lot of pride of ownership when it comes to our office space and love people coming there. I've looked at the CEO role as really linking the external with the internal, right? To me, that's the way I viewed my role. And so there's a lot of things that are external. We have a board of directors. We have outside investors. We have very strategic partnerships that we have in place. And linking those as well as the other opportunities that are in the marketplace Linking those with our internal capabilities, to me, that's something that is very important to what I do on a day-to-day basis and what I wake up thinking about. So for me, it is making sure that those two things are aligned. One, that we're not promising things that we can't fulfill, and also making sure that we're deploying things, both human capital and financial capital in in the appropriate manner. we got great teams that do this on a day-to-day basis. But I probably spend about 50% of my time in that building and then the other 50% of my time outside of that building. And that's because I'm I'm blessed that we've got a great group of people there in Houston. So that enables me to spend time externally as well as internally. Linking the external with the internal. I am stealing that. I absolutely love that. What are you working on right now, Eric, or the company working on right now that you're really excited about? What's getting you out of bed in the morning and getting you juiced? We've got some great commercial opportunities. The way the evolution of the company from the invention of the technology to building out a commercially viable product in a really comprehensive IP portfolio that differentiates us in the water space and then adding the capabilities of solutions in and around that core differentiated technology has put us in a position now where we're starting to be able to do projects that are at scale. So we're right in the middle of deploying our systems and our solutions to customers that are of material size. And so that's what has me excited because that then will serve as a platform for all the other opportunities that are starting to fill up in our commercial pipeline. So I think that our team being able to showcase their capabilities, our differentiated technologies and solutions in conjunction with our partners is something that's got me very, very excited. And we think we're on the cusp of something that's going to be a, a lot of fun. I love it. If you have to get one thing right as a company in 2023, what comes to mind? Execution. I say it all the time. Anybody, you know, I give speeches in my alma mater and, and other places and have a lot of people, you know, mentees and people that come up to me and ask those questions. And I say it all the time. We can talk a game. We can have beautiful financial models. We can have great PowerPoint presentations. At the end of it all, we're only as good as what we execute. And for me in 2023, that is what our company is all about. The time has come. The work has been put in. We've had a tremendous support from all of our stakeholders, our investors, and our board of directors. We've got to the point now where it is now time for this company to execute. That's going to be the theme for 2023. And we're really excited. You give me goosebumps. I'm thinking of our own company when I think of that. We've got all these things set up and ready to go. And now it's just going to come down to executing and making it happen, right? And so I'm really excited to hear that. I'm excited to follow along with the company going into next year. I'm very confident y'all are going to 
do a very good job of that. I want to go to a LinkedIn post that I saw, and I want to ask you about it because I want to get your thoughts. So MI Systems is pleased to announce it has obtained a $45 million funding facility that capitalizes on the value of the company's patent portfolio of water treatment technologies. Read the release here. Tell me more about this. That's awesome. Congratulations, first off. Yeah, thank you very much. I think anytime you're in a late venture, early growth stage of any company that's in a very competitive market that has long sales cycles, you know, it's capital intensive. Capital is your lifeblood. And for us to be able to execute that shows the faith in the investor community around our strategy, our business model, and then most importantly, our team. At the end of the day, as I was an early investor into this company, I invested in the people. That's the reason why when you're at late venture, early growth stage, you're betting on people. And so for us to be able to close that facility and have that capital for us to prove out our organic growth is very exciting and, and is a true testament, again, to our people, our strategy, our business model, and what problems we can solve in the water industry. I love that. I love that. Congrats again. That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to ask you one last thing before we sign off here. If you had, were able to amplify one nugget of career advice that maybe you didn't have at the beginning of your career that might have really helped, but that you know now for certain, what would that be? Yeah, I got two-pronged answer here. One is don't underestimate the value of culture. I think that that's something when you first come out of undergrad or B school, you're not really focused so much around culture of a company. It is critical and it's really hard to create that culture. That It's a journey as you go through different life cycles of the business. So learn advice is you know, make sure you're mindful of, of the culture of a company. And then the other one is know that change is constant. There's a lot of folks that don't like change and, and we all understand why. But the one thing that you can count on uh, in the business world is change. Incredible. Totally agree. I love it. Everything I know about MI Systems is y'all are on your way up and you're doing something, not just that's you know really profitable and great from a financial perspective, but even more importantly, is doing something that's improving our world, improving our communities. We hear about climate change. We hear about all the different things happening right now. Water is such an important part of our lives and who we are. I'm so grateful for what you all are doing, and I'm grateful you took a little bit of time to tell us about it. So- Thanks so much, Eric. I hope you have a great rest of your day and thanks for joining us here on Higher Learning. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate you allowing me to tell our story and wish you all the best and we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Right, I'll see you on the links. All right, take care. All right, see you. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.